Okay. Um, I want to welcome two sisters that we we've seen a couple times. They're just friends of Carlos, and it's a delight to have them with us. Kathy's here. I think Kathy's a member of First Baptist Church, or no? Where? No. Summer. Well, I go. It's a long story. You're a member of Heritage, aren't you? Church. <laughs> My church is in Metropolis, Illinois, and I'll go home just about every weekend. Good. Yeah. We used to have friends, there's yeah. campus outreach people. Remember there was a church in Metropolis, Mark? Waldo? Have you heard of Waldo? That's not his dog. It's a, it's a church, Waldo Baptist Church. A lot of your college friends. You yeah. know Waldo? I know, I know a lot of people who go out there. Yeah. I grew up First Methodist. Okay. Well, we, we really appreciate you being here. And also, Carla has a friend by the name of Carla. Carla's been with us. It's great to see her. So, and in walks Christy Jones. I mean, that is all the way from Virginia, Lynchburg, Virginia, to come to this class. Uh, it's great to see the Joneses there. We'll see the uh, four of the members of that family with us this morning. Then they have to go back. It was so good to see them briefly the other night. I was privileged to visit with them. Okay. Now, today, actually, I don't even know what the number of the chapter is, but we are uh, dealing with the communicable attributes. It's chapter 10 in our textbook. And I do encourage all of you to at least read it, get what you can get. I think you get 80% of it because it's really written for lay people. And some of you I know are actually studying the chapter and some are going beyond studying the chapter and even reading through them systematic theology. I, I commend you for uh, going that deeply and expect you to help me teach this class because of that. So um, we, we have been studying, well we've really only studied one week, the communicable, the incommunicable attributes of God. Oh, actually this is our third study on, yeah, on God. The knowability and the incomprehensibility of God. God can be known, but never known exhaustively. That, that might be a good statement to kind of memorize. God can be known, but never exhaustively. Not even throughout eternity, because he's infinitely glorious. He's boundless and measureless. Then we started thinking about the perfections or the qualities of God. Those are called attributes. Some of them are exclusive to him and others he chooses to share with us, to communicate to us. So we've considered the incommunicable last week, and today we're going to be focusing on the ones he shares with us. Now there's debate about how many of them he shares, because from one perspective he shares them all, and from another perspective he clearly doesn't. And even with the ones he shares, will never possess those qualities to the degree that he does. I mean, just to jump ahead for a moment, when we are truly converted, hello, Dr. Mike, I welcomed your wife, great to see you. And is it Tim? Who's, who's your? Timothy? Timothy? Yeah. Friend of the Apostle Paul? <laughs> Apostle Paul used him on his missionary journeys. 
um, so, you know, for example, before we were converted, we were not really loving people. We may have had some reflection of love by common grace, but, and we weren't really truthful and merciful and gracious and patient. We had some, some of that perhaps by common grace. But when we were converted and born again, God planted those virtues, those characteristics, those perfections, those qualities in our souls. But who here would dare to say, I love to the same degree that God loves? No one. And if you think that in eternity you will love to the same degree God loves, then you're mistaken about the, um, the level to which these graces are communicated. Uh, but then again, just to be a little tricky, um, let me ask you this. Will you be equal to God in his holiness? That's a, that's a tricky question, because if you say no, then I'm going to say to you, so you will have some unholiness in you? You'll still, be, you'll still have some sin in you? And you say, no, 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 I'm, not, I'm going to be sinless. I'm going to be holy. How holy will you be? Mostly holy, and you're going to get holier as heaven goes on? No. But, but from another perspective, you'll never be as holy as God is in terms of him always being holy. And we haven't always been holy. So I'm just illustrating that when it comes to these attributes of God and we start dividing them into communicable and incommunicable, which just means those that he shares with us and those that he doesn't, uh, there's room for some different perspectives here and there, even the very division of communicable and incommunicable. So, those are some of my uh, introductory remarks. So today, we're going we're gonna to focus on the attributes that he clearly and undebatably puts in our souls, shares with us. And we're going to look at something that I don't feel that this chapter adequately dealt with. <laughs> I hate to take issue with a brilliant scholar like Dr. Allison, uh, because I could never write a book like this, and I know that. But here's the sense in which I'm disappointed. And by the way, I'm equally disappointed with Wayne Grudem. But disappointed may be too strong of a word. I wish that they had spent more time in the chapters talking about what it means for those qualities to be communicated to us. Be, but because I feel like what, ended, what, what Allison ended up doing and what Grudem ended up doing was just focusing on those glorious incommunicable attributes. Or be communicable. How do you criticize that? They, they want us to think about God's truthfulness and God's mercy and God's grace and God's patience and, and so forth. And because we should be blown away by those things and we should think about them until our mind practically expands and, and until our lives continue to change as we seek to be more like him. So I, in one sense, how do I criticize them 
for focusing only from this standpoint. This chapter is about communicating them, communicating them to us. So we've got to figure out what does that really mean? We've got to answer questions like, when were they communicated to us? How were they communicated to us? Why? This is a biggie. Why did God make us like him? And what difference should it really make? And honestly, I, I scoured those chapters and there was very, very little help given on that. So, do I want to minimize the, the, the accumulative glory and praise and worship that belongs to God for his communicable attributes? No. God forbid. But what I do want us to appreciate today, and you can spend the rest of your lives focusing on is incommunicable communicable, and it'll produce worship and many, many other good things in your life. But what I want to help us to see today is what are the implications of him making you more holy? So that's kind of where I'm going, okay? So I'm, I'm not going to emphasize exactly the same things that, that Allison and Grudem, for example, both emphasize. Now, I put, um, I put on the board, <clears throat> the, it's the same little graphic, I'm going to call it a graphic, illustration of one way of thinking about God. The shorter catechism, which I've referred to several times, asked the question, what is God? And the answer they gave is really simple, and I do really encourage you to memorize it. I think Donna's practically got it memorized. She did, Donna. And others of you may have. I wouldn't be surprised. But there's, here's how the Puritans answered the question, what is God? And by the way, can anybody define God adequately? <laughs> you better not say yes. <laughs> Except, yeah, God. God can define God. He just can't. He just, we just can't understand it the, to the level that we need to, and we're going to spend all eternity coming to know more and more and more and more and more and more and more about God. But this is how the Puritans put it. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Seven things. Now, does that really cover all of the communicable attributes of God? No. But they purposely designed this one right here to, um, to imply many more things. So what you can do sometime, if you like to, is just kind of look at goodness, the goodness of God, and start seeing the various things it means. I mean, it's a lot of stuff. Do you see the word grace up there anywhere in that definition? Do you see mercy up there? Do you see patience up there? Do you see faithfulness up there? No. They all come under goodness. There's so many things that make God a good God. It, just does, it doesn't merely mean that he gives us gifts and that he's a beneficiary or a benefactor. It's much more than that. So if somebody ever asks you, what does it mean for God to be good? Say, wow, wow. You just asked me a big question because it means a lot of stuff. 
So the Puritan, you know, everybody has to, at the end of the day, your definition is going to be inadequate because we're talking about God. But this is a really, really helpful definition. So I really ask you to consider it. I taught a class once on the attributes of God, and I made a little graphic that, um, it's this one actually, and I had it printed into cards. And this one is Donna Reed. She still has one of these. I've seen a few of them once in a great while, because we gave it out to everyone in class. And it has that illustration. The only difference between this and what I put on the board is that the little card puts up here attributes. So let me just say a word about this. This is the nature or the essence of God. What is God's nature? Is he physical? No. He doesn't have a body. He doesn't have parts. His essence is spirit. In that sense, it's a communicable attribute because we have spirits, but ours were created, his wasn't. Ours are limited, his isn't. So God, in his nature and essence, is a spirit, but he is e infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in all of his qualities. So if you take this infinite, I did this, I think, last week, in terms of his being, then the question becomes, where is God if his being is infinite? If it's infinite in terms of space, he's everywhere. If it's infinite in terms of time, he's eternal. And God is perfectly unchangeable. So this, so for God to be, should I do it or not? I guess I will. I guess I'll just put up the word omni. Latin for all. Omni present. Omniscient, science, omniscience, science means knowledge. He, he knows everything. He knows everything. And he is omnipotent. We all know what potent means. It means powerful. Are you, are any of you, omnipresent, omniscient, or omnipotent? Stupid question. Of course not. Will you ever be? No. So is God going to communicate omniscience to you? No. So there are incommunicable attributes. But when you start looking at these others in particular, and uh, by the way, we have the definition on the back of this card. Maybe I should have this done again and just give them all out to you, even though our whole class isn't about God. So it says God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable, and is being wisdom, powerful, and is just as good as Joseph, could you just pass it back that way so that I don't steal? She said, please give it back. Okay, so, but now, now brothers and sisters, has God put within you, I don't like this color right now, I'm going green again. Has God put in you some of this stuff? Okay, some of this. Because I'm going to suggest to you right now that these qualities, and remember, I said there's a whole bunch of them that come under this one right here. These qualities you have. 
God has shared them with you. Your pastors can see it in you. You are holy in a way that you once weren't holy. You have a sense of right and wrong and justice and equity that you once didn't have. You have a kind of qualitative goodness that gives birth to all kinds of other virtues that you didn't have before you were born again. You are truthful in a way that you once weren't. God has shared these things with you. Those are some of the communicable attributes. Trivia question, how many did, uh, don't look at your book, how many did Allison put in this chapter? Fifteen. How many? Fifteen. Fifteen. Do you all agree with that? I think that's what it is. Fifteen. So is that it? That's it. God just has fifteen. No. Theologians, some might come up with twenty. So those are the things, those are the qualities, not things. Those are the perfections. Those are the characteristics that God himself possesses perfectly, that he determined graciously to put into your life. But we've got to think a little bit about when did he do that? How did he do that? Why did he do that? And I really want to think about, I want us to think about this, and I really want us to think about this today. So what? And the question isn't, so what should we do when we think about the, the attributes of God? The first answer is worship. Worship. Praise Him. Glorify Him. Maybe the second answer is meditate. Think about them. Let the, let the wonder of His perfections sink deeply into your soul and fill you with awe. That's a given. But see, that's not what I want to emphasize in this class. That's not what I want to emphasize in this class. It's a given. We should worship God for all of His perfections, whether they're incommunicable or communicable. But I want to go further. I want you to think more deeply if God has put love and grace and mercy and holiness in your soul, not in perfection, but in maturation, it's growing. Better be growing. If it ain't growing, something's wrong. Why did he do that? Why did he do that? See, it's just, in other words, we're not just thinking about the fact that God shares his attributes. We're thinking about when did he share them? How did he share them? Why did he share them? And what difference should it really make in our lives? Okay, so there's my simple outline. And now I think you understand. That obviously was not the emphasis of this chapter. If you read it again, now there was one little paragraph after describing what he did, what, what both of these guys did is they described the attributes. But they never said, therefore, since he has shared that with you, you might want to think about why he shared that with you and 
when he shared that with you and how he shared that with you and what difference it should be making in your life. So, now, I think what I'd like us to do then is begin answering those four questions. When, how, why, what. And I could take time by asking questions, but I think I better not. I mean, just to draw you out. If we were meeting for an hour and a half, I would definitely do this. Probably if we were meeting for an hour and 15 minutes, I would do this. I would love to just see what you would say if I said, when did God share those communicable attributes with you? And now let me just surprise some of you by saying, if you say, when I got born again, you're wrong. Because he began sharing those attributes with you when you were created. He made you in his image. He made mankind in his image. And when we procreate, we give birth to children who have that image. So the first answer to when is creation. So, where would you find that in the Bible? How, how far back do you have to go to find that? Genesis. Genesis. Let's just quickly look at Genesis 1. Okay? May I exercise a prerogative that uh, I guess a teacher has? and ask you to put a marker there, a finger there, a paper there, a pencil there for one second, because I'm coming right back, because I actually think it would be helpful for us to just see one more passage, one other passage before I should have introduced this. Will you also go to Exodus chapter 34? Okay, Exodus 34. Uh, maybe you remember this story. Um, Moses pleaded with God to see his glory. And God conceded, and God put him in a protective place. He put him in the cleft of a rock. And that's where we get the phrase in our hymn, Rock of Ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Who is our rock in whom we must be found lest we be consumed by the holiness and justice of God. Who is that rock? Jesus. Jesus. Well, this rock is in a sense typical because God's saying to Moses, you want to see me? Are you sure about that? You know it'll kill you, don't you? You know you'll die if you see me, if you see me in my fullness. Well, I didn't really want to die. Okay, I'm just going to give you a glimpse of who I am. Because if I give you the full display, it will kill you. So in verse 5, it says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed. Now, here's, here's, this is a divine revelation. This is God talking to Moses and us. The Lord, the Lord a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, 
and abounding in steadfast love, not just love, steadfast love, for thousands, excuse me, love and faithfulness. Okay, we've got several attributes there already, don't we? Mercy, grace, patience, steadfast love, faithfulness, keeping, by the way, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity. He's a God of forgiveness. And by the way, if you're saved, you are now a person of forgiveness. And if you can't forgive people at all, I'll use the bad grammar again. You ain't saved. You ain't saved. You know, if you're one of these people that says, you know, I just can't forgive people. That's one thing I can't do and I won't do. I'm not going to forget. Well, you're not saved. God is a forgiving God. And when he saves people, he makes them forgiving. So we have forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin. But lest you think I'm all just grace and mercy and love, let me just add one more thing. Who will by no means clear the guilty? That is, without a perfect sacrifice, he won't. Visiting iniquity on the fathers, on the children, and on the children's children to the third and fourth generation. If you think I'm a God who doesn't deal with sin, you've got another guess coming. So Moses, that's just a glimpse. And what does Moses do? And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. There's the first answer to so what? We start by worshipping. But see, I want to go further than that. And I don't even think that was really emphasized in the chapter. But that's where we start. So I just want to throw that passage out there because it's one of the few passages of the scriptures that actually puts a whole bunch of communicable attributes together. They're all right there. So always try to remember Exodus 34 and so forth. Okay. Now we'll come back to Genesis 1 and we're answering the question, when? When did God start making you like him? And the answer is when he made me. Look at look at Genesis 1, 26. Who will read that nice and loudly for me, please? Anyone? Just verse 26? Yes. Yep, 26. Let's see. Yeah, just 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Okay, so um, this is the Trinity, the three persons of the Trinity agreeing to create man in their image and after their likeness. Perhaps two ways of saying the same thing. And then he goes on to giving them dominion. But first, we are image bearers before we take dominion. So this was God's intent from the beginning. So when someone says, when did God first communicate to you uh, some of his attributes? Don't say when I was born again. Say when I was conceived. He put this in humanity. And there's an application for this. And you know, if I was really strict to my outline, I'd wait till the end when I ask the question, so what? But I'm not going to wait that long. I'm just going to tell you, when you look at people that you can't stand, whose guts you can't stand, because they're vile and they're wicked and they're obnoxious, 
and they really, by the laws of the land, should be executed. By the way, God believes in capital punishment for certain sins. You should say, wait a minute. The worst, vilest criminal on death row in the worst prison in the world still bears the image of God. People have value and worth. And it may help us to look at our non-Christian friends who are, in fact, they are obnoxious to us. And that's partly due to grace, not just because you're a self-loving individual, but God's grace has made you such that when you look at that kind of wickedness, it's obnoxious. But you have to take a second look and say, but you know what? He's an image bearer. She's an image bearer. She still bears the image of God. There's worth and value. There was a liberal church in Grand Rapids where I grew up. I grew up and it was called Fountain Street Baptist Church and they would put things on their marquee every week and usually it was liberal stuff. And they put out one day, we believe in the dignity of man. And I had a seminary professor, Dr. Matthews, who said, you know what? They don't have the right to say that because they don't even believe in the biblical doctrine of creation. We, are, we have the right to say, I believe in the dignity of man because we know where we came from. So just try to look at people that are not saved as image bearers who desperately need the next installment of image. So that kind of takes us, doesn't it, to how? Well, I mean, it takes us to B. A, A in when is that creation. B of when is that the new creation. Okay, that's easy to remember. I bear the image of God by virtue of two creations. One was being born a human being, and the second one was being born again. And then it's hard to really separate the second one from the how. Because now we're talking about the very special way in which we have been made image bearers of God. So I'm going to ask you, by the way, since we're still there in Genesis 1, will somebody quickly read 5.1, Genesis 5.1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. There you go. Just another reinforcement that he made us in the likeness of God. We find it in chapter 1. We find it again quickly in chapter 5. But now I want you to turn in your New Testaments to Colossians chapter 3. And I want you to notice, we'll actually start in the, a little bit ahead of the verse that I especially want to draw your attention to. Um, we're going to start, we're going to start with verse 5. Colossians 3, 5, so that you can feel what Paul's going after in his letter to the Christians there in Colossae. He says in verse 5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then, well, what are you talking about, Paul? Well, I'm talking about sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, just let me put this in perspective, says Paul. You don't think they're that bad. 
on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. He hates it. In these, you too, don't get so proud about now being holier than thou. You too once walked, lived, behaved when you were living in them. But now, now, this is an exhortation, you must put them all away. What are you talking about, Paul? What kind of stuff? Well, I just mentioned some of them. You need more? Okay. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth, do not lie, put away lying to one another. Now, here, notice the transition. Now we're getting to the point of my point. <clears throat> Seeing that you have, oh, thank you, Paul. This is a word of encouragement. I thought you thought we were still there. No, 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 no. You have, you have put off the old self with its practices. And you have, it's not you need to, you have, he's writing to Christians, you have put on the new self. So by the way, there's a, there's a clear evidence of whether or not you've been truly converted. Have you put off the old self? Have you put on the new self? In a, in a sense that it actually has happened. But now notice what he says about the new self have put on the new self. You have put on the new self. And another word of encouragement, which is being. It ain't done. It's happening now. It's progressively advancing, which is being renewed. What's being renewed? The old self in knowledge after the image of its creator. What's God's design in our conversion? To put off the old self, to put on the new self, which throughout this life will always be progressively, it's being, it will be progressively a renewal in knowledge after the image of its creator. That's what happened to all of us in our conversions. That is, if in fact there's any evidence of that ongoing progress. And so, I mean, I just say again, if you say in all honesty, I don't think there's anything changing in my life, then how, how could the Holy Spirit possibly be indwelling you? How could the purpose of God in true conversion actually be actually being, being realized if that's not happening at all? Now, if it, here's, the, here's the weird thing. Where it's happening, the people who possess it are the least persuaded that they have it. And they're just like, I just don't seem like I'm making any progress. I'm not growing in much grace. And that's both truth, truthful and false. You're wrong, you're right, and you're wrong. Of course you're not advancing like you should. Of course I'm not. But the very fact that we bemoan our lack of rapid progress is an evidence of grace. You care about it. It troubles your soul. God, I thank you that I'm more truthful than I used to be, but I still find ways to subtly deceive. God, help me. You're a God of absolute truthfulness. 
You created me in your image. You want me to be absolutely truthful, but I'm fallen. But your grace restores that image progressively. And so I'm asking you, help me to be more and more and more and more truthful. And you should spray that about every Christian grace that God shares with his creation, with his redeemed people. Every, you should pray about every communicable attribute and say, God, I thank you that there's a measure of it. There wouldn't be the measure of it if you hadn't worked in my life, but I want more, I need more. And, I'm, and God, I'm not satisfied to know that it's all going to happen when I see you. I'm, I'm very grateful for that. I'm extremely excited about that. I look forward to that day. It'll be done. But God, you're not satisfied with where it is now. I'm not satisfied with where it is now. Help me. Keep this thing happening. It is being renewed. And that's Paul's word of encouragement. Maybe the Colossians were discouraged and didn't realize it. He's saying, no, it's being renewed right now. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't keep putting off, because I just got through telling you, put off, put off, put off, put on, put on, put on. But do it in the context of knowing that God himself is in the process of making that happen. Because in terms of this class, he is energizing the attributes of himself that he communicated to you when you got saved. And he's going to keep doing it. Pastor Mark, any thoughts on that? Come on, you're a pastor. Oh, good. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Does that fit in your sermon this morning? Probably not. <laughs> you preached a good one right now. Can you just kind of twist it and get it in there somehow? <laughs> no. Pastor Mark, you know what I love about his preaching? I love a lot of things about his preaching. I love a lot of things, and there's nothing I don't love about it. Is that he works with the text. And he draws out of the text the true meaning, and then he shows us what it should mean in our lives. Every single sermon, he does that. And I, and I love that, and he does it with clarity. And he's got a gift for clarity and simplicity, and yet it's profound stuff, because it's life-changing stuff. So um, that's my Christmas gift to you, and you might want to be shopping for me. <laughs> okay? All right, so... Now, one more, Ephesians chapter 4. I just want to nail this. I want, I want to bend the nail over. That's what I want to do. Ephesians 4. So go back just a little bit. Ephesians 4. I'm going to do, a, I'm going to do the... Uh, we didn't do Ephesians already, did we? No. Scared me there for a second. Okay, Ephesians 4, verse... 17. And I'm again, I want you to feel the context. Now I say, now this I say, and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as Gentiles, unconverted pagans do, in the futility of their minds. That's a good description of an unconverted person. Their thinking is futile. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. 
Two, here's what you have heard and here's what you've been taught in him. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Let's get real about the nature of the sin that still resides in us. And here's something you're to do. You're to put off your old self and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self. This is progressive again. This is something they already had done in one sense when they were first saved. Radical change. But now he's saying, you still, you, you've got more work to do. I've got more work to do. There's still sin remaining in us. We still got to put off some stuff and we got to put on some stuff. So put on the new self. Now notice these words. Created after the likeness of God. Your new self was designed by him to make you like him. I mean, if we could ask God, God, what is your, what is your main goal in salvation? I think he would say, to make you like me. Except you can't be equal to me. And in a, in a not sinful way, God is so delighted in who he is in all of his perfections that he wants us to be like him. And conversion is designed to begin that progress, that process. And it is a process. And you know what it is? It's a process of God communicating the attributes that he wants us to share. So that's why I'm saying I wish the authors, and now I'm combining them because Grudem and Allison are very, very similar in their works. I'm, I'm wanting these guys who are talking about the, the glorious attributes of God, whether they're incommunicable or communicable, with regard to the communicable to go one step further and say, look, let's think about when they were communicated to you, how they were communicated to you, why they were communicated to you. And the answer to why is because God wants to make us like him. And the so what. So I could show you a couple of other things, and now I have to make a decision here realistically. I think I can do this and still do what I want to conclude with. Will you quickly turn to Hebrews 1 3, and then we're going to quickly turn to Romans 8 29. I'm just going to make a simple point. Hebrews 1 3, the first, the first few verses of Hebrews chapter 1 are about Jesus. And he says, long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. So this, the person we're thinking about now is the Son of God, whom he appointed, the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. The Son of God bears the image of the Father. And this isn't in an inferior way. It's because of equality. I know this is deep stuff. This is the Trinity. The Son of God bears the image of the Father. That's what Hebrews 1 verse 3 is teaching us. The exact imprint of his nature. Now, 
On the heels of that, quickly notice Romans 8.29. Romans 8.29. Hey, Patsy, would you read 29 for us, please? Okay, we can stop stop right there. Those whom he foreknew, who set his love and affection upon us from all eternity, he predestined to be... Now, I, I do believe in predestination, but a lot of people would stop right there. See, see, there's the doctrine of predestination. Not in the way you're thinking. He's talking about a particular goal, predestinary goal, whom he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Now we just saw that the son is the exact image of the father. And now Paul is telling us that in God's saving purposes, he has predestined to conform us to the image of the son. That is the image of God. So does God have an interest in making him like himself? See, it's a no-brainer. That's why he shares his his communicable attributes. So it's not enough for us to be able to rip them off. Not enough for us to be theological and say, well, they're the incommunicable and they're the communicable and I can name some of them and this little definition helps me and these are the ones that are communicable. Isn't that great? And, And then... We have, and then we forget to stop and say, why does he want me to be holy? Because he is holy. Why does he want me to be just? Because he is just, etc., 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 etc. God's intent in communicating his attributes is very simple. It's to make us like himself and to reflect back upon him so that when the world sees us, they have some notion of what God might be like. Now I'm going to I'm going to conclude then with this because I reserve just those few minutes left. We come to this question: the what? This, I put a so there. The so what? Is it just so that we will bow down and worship God for His communicable attributes? No, no it's not just that. That's where we start. Don't let me mislead you. That's where we start. We start where Moses started. We bow down and we say, what an amazing God. But then we say, and to think that he has intended all along to make me like him and actually began the process. So I've got to be very interested in holiness, justice, goodness, and truth, and mercy, and grace, and patience. Because if I'm not, then I'm not really interested in being like God. So we need to be very eager to see these attributes grow in our lives. And that's exactly what Paul was talking about in Colossians and in Ephesians. Yeah, Ron? I was, when you first started all that, I was thinking one of our duties is to also to share that with everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. You mean to share what he has done for us and what he's like. Yeah, and so, by the way, if someone comes to us, you know, Ron, you are such a kind and gracious and 
Merci actually, you're a merciful guy. You're very compassionate. Thanks be to God. Yeah, and then you can go one step further and say, well, you know, I take no credit for that. Actually, he implanted that in my soul in a small way when I was converted, and he's working on that, and i got a long way to go. But know this, it's not about me, it's about him. So you turn it into a witness. Yeah. Turn it into a witness. So thanks for that. Yeah, Patrick? I was thinking that you know, reading these, it can lead you to either arrogance. Hey, I'm, like, I'm not like these other people. I'm doing yeah. good, which, of course, is a problem. You've got a problem if you do think that. Mm -hmm. Or assurance, I see these things getting better in my life. It must be God. Yeah. Which, of course, leads you to repentance, <laughs> which, you know, like, I'm not perfect yet. God forgive me when I was slanderous, when I wasn't, you know, fruitful, or when I wasn't, you know, good to your neighbor. You know, well, I yeah. show malice and anger, things like that. Absolutely. That's, that's an excellent observation, Patrick. Thank you. So, um, Look for opportunities to, well, after you pray for and strive for an increase of the grace of whatever the communicable attribute may be, patience, honesty. When's the last time somebody said, you're just so honest? I can't believe you just admitted that about yourself. You just admitted that that was your fault and that it was your mistake and that you didn't do what you, you really were supposed to do. You didn't have to tell me that. Thank you. You're so honest. So whatever the virtue may be, whatever the attribute may be, what we have to do is reflect back on God. There's only one reason that I have a modicum of that in my soul, and it's because God planted it, and he's working on it, and someday I'm going to be completely truthful and, and, and perfectly holy, you know, and so forth. Turn it into a witness. But also when you see it in one another, this is one of my thoughts. You may have others. If you see a wonderful grace in somebody... You should say, you know, that's beautiful. You really, you really reflect well on God. I know where you got that. But that, you know, when I see your patience, it makes me think about God's patience. It's a beautiful thing. And then you can legitimately feel encouraged that somebody sees a grace in your life that you know you didn't plant. And you can give glory back to Him, but you're glad to know that, the, well, maybe in some sense I am reflecting back on God. I'm so glad to hear that. Lester? And we don't have to restrict that to Christians. No. Good you point. Say that to non so what would you do if you were talking to a non-Christian and you an saw... Artist, sorry? An artist who just painted a masterpiece. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Christ. Right. Brother, you, you can do that because you're an image bearer. And then say, have you ever thought about that? Where, do, where you got that gift? What about communication, the ability to rationalize, to think, to talk, to know people? Amazing. And I've, I've found it helpful to use Proverbs when an unconverted person is telling me how he got divorced and how he uh, did some things in his marriage that were wise, but she didn't respond. You can use the Proverbs to say, mm. that is the wisdom of God. Right. And then quote the verse. Yeah. So you're giving glory and back. So you're, you're causing a man to think, wow, that's right. That's right. right. You know, there are, there, there are <coughs> principles in God's word that proclaim how yeah. wise he is. Exactly. 
So you can say to people, if you observe that in them, where did, where did you get that? And if they say, well, I got it from, they're, they're, they're the genes that I got from my parents. I say, well, then let me ask a higher level question. Let's go to 30,000 feet. Where did mankind get it? Do monkeys have that? Have you ever seen a poem written by a monkey? It's really abstract. They're very abstract. <laughs> I was at the uh, St. Louis Zoo not long ago with our granddaughters, and we were intrigued with the orangutans. And there was one gigantic orangutan right near the glass wall, and he was sitting on a, on a log, and the others were over there, and this one had a stick. And he just kept doing something with that stick, and he had a rope in the other hand that was on that log. And he just working that thing. <laughs> I want to say, so what are you up to, man? What's, what's going on? What is the plan? <laughs> and uh, have you written any poetry lately? Have you, uh, why can't animals write poetry, but human beings can? Because animals are not made in the image of God. Okay? We've got to quit, but I want, we've got three or four minutes, which is longer than normal. To pray, and I'm going to ask two or, but I want to ask you once again, Pastor Mark, do you have any other thoughts or applications of what, was your, was your mind stimulated on anything else since I've been talking? Okay, all right, thank you. So I want, uh, I want just two or three of you to pray, and um, the last person who's going to pray is going to be Patrick. So maybe one or two would pray quickly. Just just ask whatever is on your heart about the communicable attributes, all right? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for what you are doing in us and for your glory, and we do love to see these things in our other brothers and sisters in Christ, and, uh, and help us to uh, encourage one another, exhort one another in these things. Yes. For your glory. Amen. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we, we all will admit that uh, we're nowhere near where we need to be. We need these gifts that you've given us. Yes. And with Holy Spirit, we ask that you come down and just generate us, Lord. Yes. Make us seek more after after God, Lord, and, and that we would uh, come to know Him more. We ask these things in our Son's name. Amen. Amen. heaven forgive us for the many times we've reflected your image so poorly. Hmm. Amen. And continue that gracious work in us yes, to make us more and more like yourself. Yes. For your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, that we're not like the animals just simply surviving and reproducing, that you hmm. have imputed upon us uh, your image, uh, logic and reasoning and creative ability and uh, thank you that we can there's so many there's, a, there's an amazing amount of talent that you've given to us uh, not only the ability to write poems and make music and 
movies and paintings and uh, engineering feats or, and, and the ability to simply interact and logically think about these things uh, and to contemplate you. But you've given us a brain that, um, and a heart, hearts that for many of us just simply want to improve Amen. Uh, what's going on around us. Even those who don't know you still generally uh, want to see uh, life just simply uh, being good and, and getting along. That attitude of why can't we all just get along? That's from you, Lord. Uh, and we thank you for that. We thank you that uh, for things like peace treaties. Uh, but Lord, you shared with us uh, not only that, but uh, the ability to come to know you through Jesus Christ. And we thank you that when we do, you make us holier, you make us more righteous, you give us a desire to be even more loving, to be less uh, of a sinner, to be less of a self-centered person. Uh, yes. And more focused yes. on loving others greater than ourselves. That's yes. An attribute that you give to us and a desire to serve others. Yes. Lord, we pray that you would then now take these words, apply them to our hearts and minds. If there's anybody here who doesn't know you, that you would use it. Be with us as we go into the next service. Help us to fellowship with each other, to sing uh, in such a way that brings glory to your name. Yes. To contemplate what is being uh, preached to us, what is being said. Uh, to contemplate the offering. And the bless, so many blessings that we have that we can give back at just a small portion. Yes. Uh, that uh, for uh, whatever work it is that you put upon the hearts and minds of this this body of believers. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I stopped it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.